Hey, what's up? It's Seth Grimes, and you're about to listen to an episode of my very first podcast ever. It's called The Underground Sound. It ran from about 2009 all the way up through about 2014. And uh, it's got a lot of interviews with people that I worked with back in the day, both in wrestling and in music. So check them out. What up, y'all? My name is The Sheep, and this is The Underground Sound, the podcast for your mom's ass. And today, we got a great interview with indie wrestling star, Brian Skyline. Brian's one of my favorite people in the wrestling business. He's got a lot of great stories about his days in professional wrestling, as well as what he's up to nowadays. He's going to talk all about when he got started in Dan Severn's wrestling school. He's going to talk all about his career with UPW and his falling out with the wrestling business in general and why he left. We're going to talk about CM Punk. We're going to talk about MMA. We're going to talk about everything in between. It's going to be a great show. We had a great conversation, and I'm happy to bring it to you. Check it out right now. The Underground Sound, the podcast for your mom's ass. Brian Skyline, indie wrestler. Check it out. Tassels. Woo! Wrestling superstar, star, superstar, wrestler, however you want to be preferred. Brian Skyline, how you doing today, Brian? Hey, Chief, how you doing, man? A uh, long time no talk. Right, yeah, dude, it's been a while. Were you, you were not at the show that I was at the end, or were you? Did we see, did I see there? It was about a year ago. Uh, was that the one where the table just refused to break? <laughs> Yes, yeah, that's the one. That wasn't that show. I wasn't that show. <laughs> so, uh, have you still been working quite a bit lately, or no? Uh, no, the last match I had was uh, July 31st in uh, Watersby, Michigan for Under the Lights Entertainment, and I have not wrestled since. Right on. Well, I definitely want to get into that and see you know, what's going on with you at this point. Um, but I want to go back and uh, talk about you know the beginning here. Uh, were you always a wrestling fan, like when you were a kid and stuff, or was that something that came later? Um, yeah, pretty much was. Like I remember being like four or five in like the uh, old bunny ears on the you know UHF sort of TV, kind of picking up like some uh, random like uh, I'm pretty sure it's either Superstars or WF Wrestling Challenge or something. I vaguely remember that, but it wasn't until I was like really about, I'd say about 10 or 11 years old that uh, was my best friend at that time. Uh, he had moved away with his mom. She went to uh, go to school or whatever, and whenever he come back to visit his dad, uh, he would bring back uh, wrestling tapes from uh, Mr. Munchies in Escanaba. I'm not sure if you remember that. Place. Oh, yeah, yeah. It used to be next to a Little Caesars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was like, you know, that's when I kind of got into it, like, pretty hardcore because, like, you know, he's my best friend, so if he likes it, I got like this, too. And then, like, eventually, uh, another one of my friends laid down on the road, like, his dad was a big wrestling fan, so, like, whenever I stay at his house, wherever we watch, like, WCW Power Hour or Saturday mornings and WCW Saturday night at night, Sunday night main event, whatever it was on, and, like, I just kind of got hooked and whatnot. Did you ever try to watch the pay-per-views through... 
back when it was like you could still kind of see it through the scramble like it was all it was all scrambled out but you could still kind of make out who was who and what was going on if you like squinted your eye and turned your head a certain way no not really uh my hometown of crystal falls uh to put this into a uh, perspective like uh just this past summer I uh, finally had the option to bundle cable and internet as an option. <laughs> so like, this uh, this back, is... back then, like I remember we tried calling for, I think, like the 1993 SummerSlam pay-per-view. And they're like, there's no such thing as pay-per-view or something like that. <laughs> so like, we, we never really had that much of an option. Not a lot of people had to dial like this stuff wow. at that time. I didn't know that. Like, really, some people had like the really gigantic ones remember those things from back in the day but yeah the satellite dishes yeah 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 i didn't know it was that primitive up there because i mean i'm you know i'm from the up too when i was i i grew up in escanaba and we had you know cable and stuff i mean escanaba is pretty i guess modern compared to where you grew up from hey yeah well you gotta understand like, like here's the thing with crystal falls i was talking about the whole cable thing like yeah 15 miles away iron river from us like had like extensive like charter cable and Iron Mountain was like 30 miles. Like we, Crystal Falls and their little part of Iron County like really put themselves in a bubble pretty much. So like, like everything, like even to this day, it's still kind of that way. Yeah, so like it was a very, uh, very backwoods to say the least. Right on. So um, when you got older, um, was, wrestling something that you got into when you were in high school were you a wrestler in high school or a jock of any kind or what did you do in high school uh i tried a little amateur wrestling we had like a little co-op program but like it you know wasn't pro wrestling so i kind of like lost interest in it but like, you know i was definitely a jock like i played like you know from geez fifth grade through my senior year i played pretty much every sport depending on what season it was for the most part was football, basketball, baseball, uh, track and field, you know, never competitively played golf. I would do that. We played tennis, just whatever. Like I said, small town, like not much to do. So like we had some courts and whatnot. So, and we would just, you know, play whatever we were feeling at that time. Like sometimes in the summertime, like we'd be bored and we'd watch the Sandlots or something. And then we'd go play baseball, you know, or we'd watch Little Giants go play football or Space Jam would go play basketball, you know. Were the jocks more your type of crowd then back back then? Um, no, I, I don't know. Like, I was kind of a get-along guy. Like, I got along with, you know, obviously jocks. I was a pretty decent athlete, but I was also, you know, which, you know, I look back now is why I became kind of a wrestler. I was kind of got along with, like, uh, the creative types, the stoner types. Go figure out that one, right? Right, because uh, like, that was more my crowd, and that's why I'm always curious to see, like, who people were in high school and if you were the type of person I would have crossed paths with. Because I never really got along with the jocks all that much. I was like the stoner burnout type, you know, artsy. Right, right. Like, I always, yeah, me, like, I, looking back on it, like, I sort of see, like, oh, wow, like, I wish I would have uh, done a little bit more back to, like, because I, I was in the sports a lot. It was kind of like, you know, not very manly i guess you know <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. you know so like you didn't want to be at practice getting ridiculed because you wanted to go try out for the drama club or some right, shit yes you know what i really wanted to just like you know kind of as that peer pressure sort of thing like you want to do that but you want to blah 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 it's like okay we'll play football guys <laughs> 
was that always something that was part in you then uh like the artistic part of it and also what maybe drew you to want to become a wrestler is the ability to act perform create yeah it was definitely the creative things like i was never <laughs> i'm not like I never like my wasn't as a sorry. I never came from like a musical family really, so like it's not like I really played instruments or anything. It was not really like encouraged either. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like I never really got the music. I mean, I got the music like everyone does, but I never got to actually playing it. Like it, it really took me a while. So I always had like all these thoughts in my head and creations I wanted to do. Like but I just never had any sort of outlet to do it. You know what I mean? At what point did you get into professional wrestling? I didn't get into wrestling until uh, 2006. I was about 25 years old at the time. I was going through what I like to call my mid-midlife crisis. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you're 25, you're like, you know, you kind of uh, done the whole party phase, the whole college parties, the high school parties, yada, yada, yada. You know, I had a few years uh, going to the bars and this, that, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, what's, what do I want to do? What's going to make me happy? You know, like, no matter how much I try to uh, put off wrestling and just be in a phase, it never was. It was something that, you know, the aesthetic happened in me since I was like 10, 11 years old. And like, for a period of time, it was like kind of a closet wrestling fan, except for a couple of my friends who were fans too. But like, it wasn't a cool thing until later on in high school and like uh, the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars and like you know when it was cool with everybody yeah. suddenly yeah, yeah. all of your friends that would always want make fun of you before or would have made fun of you for being a wrestling fan if they knew suddenly they're all huge wrestling fans too because Stone Cold oh yeah yeah like uh, yeah, I was the one watching Monday Night Raw and Monday Night Show and all of a sudden you know like the NWO pops up and everyone's watching <laughs> every Monday Night and Gathering you know, we're gathering, well, you know, a dozen people are still watch. you know, go between Monday Night Raw and Monday Night Show, and it's football season, Monday Night Raw, Monday Night Football, and Night Show, you know, so. People will never understand if they weren't uh, around watching wrestling back then. I mean, they've made a million documentaries about it at this point. It's been talked about to death, but. Oh, to, sure. To be in that time oh, where you're over the channels back and forth, and they really yeah, were right? competing because you. As soon as it got boring, you're flipping the channel back to the other show. So you oh, have to constantly sure. be on point, and it really created great oh, TV. Sure. Yeah, well, it was also uh, kind of a uh, point there, too. You also kind of uh, start recognizing certain patterns that they have, so you tune in at certain times. Like, you yeah, always right. know that, like, uh, Goldberg was going to be the main event of the second hour of Nitro, so we kind of, like, watch Rod at a certain point, but then you slip back over to Nitro because Goldberg was coming up or some shit, you know what I mean? Right. Or if you're like at first hour, there's like some Hulk Hogan interview. You flip over the rocks that Rob was coming on. So the Hulk Hogan interview was just him and Bishop Vladdy for 20 minutes. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, so you went to Dan Severn. You were trained by Dan Severn or his training school. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, Dan Severn's Mission Sports Camps. Dan wasn't really the trainer per se. He was the owner of the building and blah blah blah. Uh, my main trainer was uh, Josh Abercrombie or Josh Raymond, who uh, some people may or may not know from, uh, well, the short-lived Wrestling Society X part of the Trailer Park Boys. Funny I how that ended. Wrestling Society X. That was, that yeah, was yeah, a really cool concept. Really cool concept. And uh, then he was also part of the original House of Truth of Ring of Honor in 2009. But then uh, injuries, and then uh, he started a family. And 
he's still training guys. He still wrestles every now and again. But, but uh, yeah, he was uh, an awesome trainer. Like, I, I credit so much of what I do and how I think to him. And then there's also uh, CJ Otis, who uh, spent some time over in all of Japan, and he was a Southern graduate, too. What was that? <laughs> uh, but, oh, gotcha. But, yeah, he was a big part of my training, too. And then uh, in my early years, too, uh, Jimmy Jacobs was a sort of sort of mentor to me. And uh, now he's one of the writers for WWE. So, like, those guys, I would say, were, like, three, the three that, like, really helped mold my mentality towards wrestling but primarily josh was my trainer was dan ever around or was he just kind of collecting that paycheck i mean did he pop in Uh, he was was around sometimes and sometimes he'd run the class and whatnot uh but like he was also a busy dude uh like doing his seminars uh for amateur wrestling like in arizona and doing like police seminars and like his fights and his other bookings Sometimes he wouldn't be he wouldn't even be at his home for like two weeks at a time. Like he just had a super busy schedule. Did he infuse any kind of MMA training, or did you feel like you got any kind of extra special uh, technique or grappling or anything at all from being at a Dan Severn school that maybe other people didn't learn? Oh yeah, uh, the thing was what attracted me to Severn school was with uh, his facility. It's, uh, he had a. Uh, Dormitories, in quotations, when people can't see me doing the finger thing. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but it, it was more like they're pretty much uh, either the equivalent of a uh, boot camp brig or not brig, but like boot camp sort of dormitories or jail, pretty much. You know, just big long room, cement, bunk beds, maybe a TV, you know? Yeah. So, like, I, I actually lived there for. Oh, about a year and a half or so, and just uh, living there, and you know, living, really living in the gym. You know, I just kind of, you know, met people, and you know, I started training in the MMA stuff uh, for conditioning. And especially at that time, it's 2006, so you know, or no, 2007. So at that point, like UFC was fucking exploding at that time, and the influence was definitely falling over into a uh, pro wrestling and. With the expansion of the internet too, and like YouTube and whatnot, the Japanese style, which is very heavily athletically and uh, martial arts kind of based, you know, it was kind of like the kind of thing to do. It's like, okay, if I'm gonna be a pro wrestler, then I should definitely be doing this because guys like uh, Daniel Bryan, who was Bryan Danielson at the time, or uh, Davy Richards, or you know, some of the guys who I held in the highest esteem. You know, and rightfully so, like, bad at it, like, they're, like, the best in the world. Like, okay, then I need to do that if I want to get to a certain level I want to get to. If they're doing it, I should do it, too. Now, I got two follow-ups for that. Uh, first one, about the Japanese style. Are you still rocking the Nakamura haircut? I'm not. I'm a short hair guy now, man. Oh, uh, it's buzzed down completely? Uh, well, it's a little shaggy now. I, I got a haircut, like, two months ago. My hair grows, like, ridiculously fast, but... Right on, and then yeah, uh, for the on the USC talk. Uh, yeah, by the time this airs, we'll already know. But who do you got in the uh, Ronda Rousey Amanda Nunez fight tonight? Uh, Amanda Nunez is no joke. But Rousey is looking like a fucking beast, dude. Jesus, but she was yeah. Whatever she was lacking in that, the preparation for her Holly Holm fight, she was not not lacking for this fight tonight. So I'm and, kind of that's what I'm reading too and hearing, but. 
it, it's so hard to pick because Rousey's a beast. She, like you said, she, yeah, she's an animal. The but in you know, she had a great career up until that one fight. But was she exposed yeah. with that one fight, or was it a fluke? Because Holly Holm was a fluke. I mean, she didn't go on to do shit. You know, she's already like yeah, she lost level. the title, the defense. Yeah, and uh, um, I don't, I don't yeah, think it was a fluke. An animal. She's tough. Very tough. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I don't. I don't think the Holly Holm fight was a fluke. Because honestly, uh, I was having conversations with guys about this. Like, has anyone ever? I mean, granted, most of her fights never went more than like two minutes, anyways. Yes. But like, has anyone ever seen Rousey even throw a kick? You know, no, I like, mean, like, Holly picked her apart. Technically, she kicked oh, yeah. her ass. It wasn't a fluke. And like, all that knockout kick too, man. Like, you know, just uh, from my experience, you know, and not that I have, like, I'm like a great sure, kickboxer yeah. or anything, but like that kick, like well, how she keeps it right between her arms. Like anyone who knows any sort of thing about defense in like martial arts, or whatever, like you do not, if you're getting thrown down like that, you do not leave your arms that wide open. You just left a big window, and guess what happens? Bang! Right there, you know, it's like, you know, so I'm curious. I, I don't think it was a fluke. I just think she just had superior striking skills, and everyone kind of already knew what Rousey's game was. So come charge you like a bull, try to uh, get her grips on you, judo toss you, and go for that arm bar. Right. You know, now, you, do you think Nunez will it? still yeah. have, have the same uh, game plan? Because she's kind of a striker, too. That, that's, I'm sure she will. So I, mean, I think everyone, you know, it's been over a year now, and no one's really seen Rousey do anything. So, but that's the other thing too. What's Rousey been doing? Has she been improving her striking? Has she learned from that? I mean, she's clearly keeping in the fucking gym, you know. Right, <laughs> and anyone's yes. seen recently, so uh, it's hard to say, man. But I mean, Rousey's a once in a time athlete, man. Top, you know, she's world class, and all these girls are world class now, you know. No doubt about that. So uh, it would be interesting. What are your thoughts on CM Punk? Um, you know, everyone gives him a lot of shit for losing to Mickey Gall in two minutes and fourteen seconds. Anyone who's seen Monday Night Raw from Chicago uh, probably already knows about Stephanie's line. But here's the thing too about that, right? Uh, the fight that Mickey Gall had to get to fight with CM Punk against another, you know, professional MMA fighter who was like, you know, a strictly MMA guy. Yes. He did the exact same thing to got that guy and got him done in 45 seconds. Punk yes. lasted two minutes. And then like, what, was it Joe Stevenson? I forget who uh, Gall fought the second time, but he did the exact same thing to him. It was the second round, but he, I mean, Mickey Gall was world class. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I can't fault that. And that's part of it. Guys lose quick. Guys have lost quicker and more uh, horribly. But at the same time, if if Mickey Gall is, I mean, Mickey Gall could go on to be a big dog, you know, and I think he will be. I, I mean, he, he, he went to the second round with uh, Sage Northcutt. But yeah, that's he still was. won. He still won, and he still kind of kicked his ass. I mean, it was a little bit more of a scrap, but he won. Every fight, professional fight he's had, he's gotten everyone in that rear naked choke. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. I mean, in two years, history could show, well, Punk's, there's no shame in losing to Mickey Gall. He's the next fucking huge star. He's the next multiple champ. There's no doubt about that. Like, the kid's right. amazing. And, like, what I too is, like, I was a very big supporter of Punk, you know, I figured, you know, He's gonna need two years anyways without the injuries and surgeries that he had, you know, to get to it, you know, to get prepared enough for that. Yeah. But at the same time, like too, as soon as I heard uh, Mickey Gall was a brown belt in jujitsu, it's like, oh, he's 
I trained jiu-jitsu now and like my instructor's a brown belt and it's just, it's just not even fair. <laughs> you know? You can't, you can't replace the years no matter how hard you train. You know, so, so I think, yeah, he's only been a professional for, you know, four fights or whatever, but he a brown belt usually at minimum unless you just three get that's at least eight years of training. So he's been doing that for at least well, six to eight years from the time he's like 15 years old. You know, and where Punk has been doing off and on for like a decade. There's a big difference there, you know? Right, absolutely. So, um, switching gears, what was uh, what was your first match, and how did it go? Uh, my first match was against uh, one of my training partners. His uh, name's Idol Hines. Uh, it was uh, in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Actually, I, I debuted in the UP, which was kind of cool, on Friday the 13th, July 2007. Nice. And as far as uh, first matches go, I mean... I definitely look at those matches now. I know that they're not good, but considering all things considered, it wasn't that bad, you know? Like, we didn't screw up too much. No one got hit. Dude, get a cough ball. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) All things considered for a first... Yeah, right. Uh, All things considered for a first match, it wasn't bad, but it certainly wasn't good either. Especially why... where my mindset is now on things, you know what I mean? Were you guys both at the same level? You said it was somebody that you trained with or somebody, one of your trainers? Uh, it was the one I trained with. He was there, I think, about uh, six months to a year before me. Uh, and I trained for about six months before my first match. And it was one of his first four matches or something at that time. Like, I, I was a pretty quick study. Like, I was real athletic as it was, and I already kind of the uh, quote-unquote smart marks. So I kind of like, kind of knew what was going on, but I didn't. So like I, I, I advanced pretty quickly actually. So once I mean once you got an athletic background, you can physically do whatever they need you to do as long as you're taught it properly. It's no no. It's quick to pick up on, and then you just got to kind of learn the psychology, and you're in the game. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of stuff, like, you know, like, running and jumping and lateral movements, I had to be a real you know, athlete for my whole life, you know? So, like, and, you know, just being a huge wrestling fan and being, like, his, like I was, like, I was, like, getting into indies, indie stuff, like, back in, like, uh, the early ECW days, I was, like, uh, reading about and, like, trying to find indie tapes and stuff. So, like, I kind of, always was already pretty deep into it anyways, and, like, I was already kind of, studying as a student for a couple of years before I even got into wrestling. Especially, you know, when Tough Enough came off and they kind of, you know, uh, hate saying expose the business, but kind of, like, showed you what, showed you the ropes, per se, actually. Right, you know, yeah, it was kind of that first that, like, kind of, you know, yeah, 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 for sure. It's like, oh, okay. And, like, you know, watching that, it's just like, you know, like, watching that, it's like, oh, shit, man, I can do that. I know I can do that. And he says it all took was uh, finally having the balls to go and do it. What were uh, what were some of the bigger names that you've had the chance to work with over the career? I know a couple like Rhino, Sabu, anybody else, and what was that like? Uh, <laughs> well, we'll go back to you know, the beginning of my career. Like uh, after my first match with uh, Idol Hines or whatever, like uh, that was uh, like I said, July thirteenth of two thousand seven. On August eighth of two thousand seven. I wrestled Violent J and Too Tough Tony at an IWA Mid-South no show. No shit. I think I remember you <laughs> telling me about match. that. Yeah, my fifth match, man. 
Okay, well, I know there's uh, there's people that are uh, ICP fans that'll probably listen. So, what 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 the fuck was that like? And did you know, like, were you aware of who he was, or did it matter to you at all? No, oh, yeah, yeah. Like you know, like I was when I was like 14, 15, 16, You know, ICP was kind of the rage, but it was you know yes. kind of like you know, 14, 15, 16, like you know the dick and fart humor of it all. It kind of was appealing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, you know, so I knew who he was and whatnot, but the match itself, was, uh, the whole thing was uh, pretty nerve-wracking. Like I said, it was my fifth match. It was in my first month, of, you know, touring as a pro wrestler, so. Uh, were they good with you, or did, were they a little bit rough with you, or? Well, here's the thing. Um, we get there, and we get told, we just, you know, me and the dude, we're just, you know, IWM itself is a pretty high-profile uh, indie, especially at yes. the time. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, like, you know, like, I was, you know, like I said, my first month in, like, I was with a buddy of mine. He was just trying to break into the He'd been doing it for, like, six years, seven years or something. And uh, uh, we were sitting there waiting to do our match, and Violet J and Chief Def Tony right there. And we get, okay, they're going to be here in 15 minutes. Okay, they're going to be here in 10 minutes. Okay, they're going to be here in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so they show up about 10 minutes before we're supposed to go out there. And like I said, like I, was, I was really young, I was really green wrestling, you know, I'm like, uh, they're talking about going out there and calling on the fly. Like, if I was with my trainer or some people that I worked with, you know, in training, like I could go out and listen to them and do it on the fly. I don't know fucking shit about these guys. I don't want to fuck up this opportunity that, you know, <laughs> get about I to be missed out. So we were sitting there fucking talking, like, you know, like, oh yeah, but we'll go there and call on the fly, bro. And like, uh, Tony will hit, you know, he'll hit you with his uh, fucking move, and I'll hit you, speaking to me. I'll hit you with my spike, and like, and he's like kind of motion, like a body slam thing. I'm like, well, what do you mean, your spike? Uh, he's like, hey, no spike, man, spike. I'm like, Mishinoku driver, Steiner screwdriver? What the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, neck broken, my first fucking, you know, what the hell? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, but it ended up being a Michinoku driver, and then we ended up going out there, and I, I pitched like an idea because I was um, smaller than Violin J, so like I tried to body slam. It's on YouTube. If people want to check it out. You uh, but yeah, I was like, that match is on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can find it. Violin J took the pony versus Brian Skyline and Keith Tree, my W in Mid South. Yeah, just YouTube. I, I shared on my a uh, couple of my on my Facebook accounts uh, in the last month or so because it was kind of one of those looking back like holy crap sort of things you know so now IWA Mid-South uh, has some, a lot of hardcore to it you were never really much of a hardcore wrestler though I do see that uh, I, I mean there it looks like you were in one of those recent uh, deathmatch tournaments what uh, what are your thoughts on like hardcore matches and that sort of thing and why was that not something you really did much of well, I was always over the, you know, like, I was always, like, one of the guys I always liked. You know, even though I was a big ECW fan, like, the guys I liked there were always the technical guys. Like, Bret Hart Shawn Michaels were my guys growing up and whatnot. You know, so I was just always where I wanted to mold myself to be. And, like, you know, until I learned later on what hardcore in deathmatch wrestling was, I didn't want anything to do because I didn't want to get scarred up. I didn't want to, you know, be, like, pigeonholed into that and, like, when I eventually did do a death match, I did it because, like, I seen so many fucking fat milkbag motherfuckers. Uh, guys were getting fucking, you know, plane tickets and flying and who couldn't wrestle their way out of a wet paper bag. Uh, 
doing it, and I realized like what the tricks of the trade were to that sort of thing. And so I wanted to like dip my toe into a little bit because I knew I could do it better than these motherfuckers. So you're essentially saying a bunch of fat schlubs are getting paid to do this. I can do this better than them and cash yeah, in. Pretty on much. Cash in yeah, pretty the, much. Uh, people that like to book that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, in, you know, I'm not, I can't say exact numbers or anything, but it's like, say, a guy got paid 50 bucks for a regular wrestling match and they tear the fucking house down with their fucking ability and their skill. Uh, some fat, useless motherfucker who couldn't wrestle the way out of paper bag just because they're willing to believe for no real good reason <laughs> other than just because his death match would get paid like 150, 200 bucks. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah, that was the kind of thing. And then, like, and there's other things, too. And, like, I, after a while, I kind of got into a mentality for uh, the mentality of, uh, well, Terry Funk did it. <laughs> Am I better than Terry Funk? I mean, it's probably not the best role model to have, but at the same time, he's a legend and he's the man, so. Yeah, and he had yeah. almost, like, a whole, I would say second career, but it was probably more like a third career as a hardcore guy. <laughs> You know, yeah, like yeah. In the seventies, he was a legit wrestler. I mean, a brawler, but I mean, never. Well, well, no. When we first started, he was like a legit. I first one, like the NWA title, he was a legit like technical guy. Then yeah. he got again to the brawler thing, and then he became like an extreme wrestler and shit. Right. Yeah. So, uh, talk about your start getting involved with UPW. You were on the very first show that. Uh, I promoted with UPW. How did you get involved with that, and uh, why did you end up staying? Or you know, tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, uh, what happened, I believe, was I was wrestling down in Green Bay, and uh, Peter B. Beautiful was in the crowd that night, and I wrestled. Uh, I think it was one of my first times wrestling with Silas Young, and we uh, tore the house down, and uh, he met you, and like that all came together, and. Yeah, he booked me at TW3 for the American title and in the main event with uh, TW3 and Xbox, me and Silas Young. Yeah, man. I mean, I loved the way that you guys were working together. Um, when when I did the PWR thing, what I wanted to do was use him, even though it was like a heel versus heel thing, I wanted to use him to turn you into a baby face. And I thought the way that, and I mean, you know, I didn't give you guys shit for directions because it's not a, you know, it's not. I didn't want to took it anyways, You guys <laughs> told a story, man. You guys really did uh, bring that to life, you know. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Like, uh, you weren't around until so you had moved back uh, to Grand Rapids or whatever at the time, but like, uh, yeah, me and him, uh, was it two years ago, I think. For uh, UPW, uh, we uh, did the sixty-minute Broadway and whatnot, so. Like and we pretty much tripled like that. I think that first PWR show we had the round robin thing, which we only did like about ten minutes. I don't think me and him have really done anything less than fifteen to twenty. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah, we we really gelled and like we like I said we had the same mentality. Like uh, I always gave him his respect for being the veteran, but like he was always receptive of my ideas. You know, he knew what I knew what I was talking about, why, why I always had a reason why we would do it this way. You know, when uh, when you say that you guys uh, had a different idea of how wrestling should be, and, and not a huge fan of the Wisconsin yeah, scene, without mentioning any names, because I, I really don't want to do that. But yeah. I, to me, and I want to see if you agree. 
I follow the scene, you know, through all the Facebook and everything, and it seems like I see a lot of people that don't look like wrestlers. And they look like they're playing wrestlers, and I know that's yeah, a huge absolutely. criticism that, like, Vince gets, like, and, and smaller guys and whatnot can work, but I look at the flyers, like, you know, to me, like, if you're going to walk through a mall and you see a wrestling flyer, does that person make you want to go see that show? Because you don't yeah. know these indie guys a lot of times. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I don't know. My, my thing on that whole scene is, like, where me and... Uh, basically, when you start and you start learning wrestling, like, everyone kind of like gets the uh, seven steps of a basic match. And basically, even from the uh, quote-unquote veterans, or the 40-milers, really of uh, the Wisconsin scene, they would pretty much do like a seven step match and then some weird ass cross-legged spinning fucking super indie thing there. Yep. Well, like we're me and Silas, we <laughs> got put. It's true. The super and indie flip Yeah, yeah, right, table. exactly. Yeah, exactly. For, <laughs> for a two count. Uh, and then he gets him with the roll up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> So many guys do that, like, we'll have a roll of finish after I hit you with, like, 19 fucking this thing. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. Eat them with your finish. <laughs> well, well like, me and, or me and Silas, like, do you get to a certain point, like, where you get away from, like, the seven steps and you kind of start constructing things like a three-act play? You know, we have, a, like, everyone, like, you have to have a start, a middle, and a finish, and that's kind of all part of the seven steps. But, like, you kind of have a reason why you're doing this stuff in the beginning is you want that to dovetail at the end and you want the stuff in the middle makes the stuff in the beginning make sense so it makes that ending so much more awesome just like a good movie you know what I mean yeah and I mean you know I, I mostly did uh, mine to be like a web show and I remember like you and Silas and uh, Tommy was really good with that too like playing to the camera so like yeah. made sure that we captured the you know captured the emotion of what was going on um, oh yeah absolutely it's a lot of things a lot of indie guys don't really get like even how often they watch like Monday Night Raw and will bitch about Monday Night Raw it's like well why are you bitching about this all oh, this angle suck whatever how about you watch what these guys are doing watch how they find the hard camera watch how they find the ground cameras you know what I mean like even like uh Finn Balor, for example, <clears throat> admitted that, you know, he worked in New Japan and they weren't very, you know, they're very much more a, a live event based uh, sort of company. Uh, like when he got to NXT, like he was blown away about how much attention to detail goes into working those cameras and the evicting the emotion. Because, like, there's always the saying, or Vince McMahon will always tell you, like, your money's made here and then he'll do, like, a box around your face. That's how you. Uh, show that emotion because like most people don't understand what the hell's going on no one knows what a like a death valley driver feels like no one knows what a you know a pile driver feels like you know it, it's your body language and the expressions that you show to the crowd and when you have cameras around you're playing to an audience you can watch it on youtube watch it on television or whatever they have to understand and you do that through your facial expressions you have to make sure you get to those cameras so if you're not only just playing to the audience that's at the live event you're playing to the audience that's watching you through whatever means. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever had uh, any kind of major injuries or anything throughout your career? 
Um, uh, I've had some neck problems over uh, the last couple of years or so. Uh, definitely got, I'm pretty sure I got a degenerative uh, disc in my neck. Uh, I have a friend who's a sports therapist. I kind of told him what was going on, but yeah. That's kind of the thing that happens in being a full contact athlete or whatever. And actually, uh, just a couple of months ago, it was like really killing me. Like I was like losing feeling in my left leg or like it was burning constantly. But then like <laughs> one day I was just laying in bed and like my neck was just bothering me. And then, like whatever I did, it's kind of like tilting my neck back and squeezed my shoulders together. And like something popped. And, like all of a sudden everything felt better again. So I probably had a bulging disc or something. You got to get on but, that. Got to get on that DDP yeah. yoga. I do yoga actually pretty regularly. I don't do the DDP stuff, but like it, it's basically all the same anyways. DDP is a little bit different. It's more uh, conditioning-based. But other than that, uh, you know, bumps and bruises. I uh, broke my nose a few times. Uh, suffered my shoulder real early on. Yeah, nothing nothing real major. Like, I mean, I got my sciatic nerves all fucked up, but like yoga has helped out a lot. Just, you know, kind of getting good posture and keeping that pressure off of your spine is makes a big, big difference. Have you, um, have you ever done any, uh, like extra work for WWE or anything like that? No, no, uh, <laughs> I haven't. Uh, I, I kind of shot myself in the foot on that a little bit. Cause uh, me and a certain midget from Wisconsin don't get along with it with WWE for a few years. I hear and, uh, about him often. Though, yeah, know. yeah, it, it, it's always funny too. He always told me like, I want to step in, stand, stand, why, why do people want to book you and make you wrestle? You suck, this, that, everything. This is when he never saw me wrestle either. <laughs> and then he saw me and he's kind of like kissing my ass and shit. Like, oh, you actually know what you're doing? He's like, yeah, I do, fuckhead. <laughs> you know, but like, yeah, but like everyone was kissing his ass because they could get that extra work, and I didn't kiss his ass. Uh, so you kind of had to go through his filter? Yeah, pretty much. Especially out of Wisconsin to like the Green Bay, Chicago, Minneapolis groups and whatnot. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm like, well, I know guys got it through Severin a few times, but I was already uh, away from that area. So like, I never really got a chance to uh, get it through him either. So. Right on. Would you go there and be a rosebud? Would you have done that? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Let's get $200 a day in catering? Come on. Catering alone is worth it. Oh, hell yeah, man. You get to work out like, the way I understand now, like Mondays, you pretty much you, uh, you spend most of your day uh, working out and talking to William Regal, and then Tuesdays, uh, or you might, either, Monday or Tuesday, you could either uh, get some extra work, either being, you know, someone's bump dummy or, you know, it's like a random security guard. And sometimes guys would, on Tuesdays would get the dark match. I mean, it's probably a little different now because SmackDown's live as well. But, uh, I mean, definitely like a year ago, it was like that. What, so it's like, uh, okay, well, you're going you're gonna to pay me and feed me to hang out with William Regal and do stuff for WWE. 200 bucks a day. Yeah, that would suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, it's a foot in the door. I mean, it could be nothing. It could be something, but at least uh, it's that chance, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, what's uh, what was behind the Trailer Park Prince character, and it just kind of talk about like what you were projecting as a character before that, why you decided to change, and what the Trailer Park Prince is or was. Well, for the longest time, like I was just like a wrestler, you know. Whether I was, you know, like 
the unbeatable Brian Skyline you guys had me doing for a while, which was, you know, pretty decent for the local live crowd or whatever. Um, and then like, I went with the limited edition because it was a cooler name, I thought. But what it really came down to is, like, you know, pro wrestling is always a reflection of something that's going on in pop culture. And, like, the thing is, like, the best characters are always guys who are, uh, it's something that's, like, a part of them. And, like, I was, you know, kind of brainstorming about what I wanted to do and how could I establish those two things. What's going on in pop culture, but it's still, like, part of my life. You know, it's like, I, I can't be, like, a Bruno Mars guy. I have no idea what the hell Bruno Mars lives in his life. Like, I'm a, I'm a fucking kid from the backwoods, you know? But that said, like, you know, what, what was, what's been one of the most popular TV shows of the last six years? The Walking Dead. Who were the who's like the most popular character off of Walking Dead? Daryl Dixon, and his you know his, and his brother Merle was one of my favorite characters on the show too. I was like, okay, wait, they were some backwood rednecks, you know. The trailer like they had like you know, kind of like trailer trash, you know. Like I, with my family life, my you know I come from a broken home and whatnot. You know, it's like no, I relate to those guys. Like those are guys that you know I keep. I can kind of like live vicariously through because like I kind of experienced the things that they went through. It's like, oh, wait a minute. This is a big thing in pop culture. It's something that I can relate to. So I can now, I can project that as a character. And it's not just some dude in fucking uh, short shorts with tassels on him. You know what I mean? The fucking tassels. I used to love the yeah, tassels. He's dude, on him. Oh, yeah. That, that was the point, dude. I wanted people to make fun of the tassels. <laughs> Anytime I did commentary over one of your matches, I would point <laughs> out the tassels. <laughs> I had to. Yeah, not a lot of people did the tassels. I mean, there's probably a reason for it, but <laughs> you got to try to find something to stand out with, you know? What, uh, where were you at in your career when you decided to do that? And uh, more like specifically uh, your tenure with UPW. Like you kind of, you, you were at that first show we touched on that. You never really yeah. left. You're at almost all the shows, I would say. Uh, what was yeah, the uh, what was the run like there? Um, it was good, man. It was definitely I was definitely at a point from that first show on. Like I was definitely at a point where like I knew I was better than everyone on the show for the most part. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I think anyone who actually gives a damn about themselves as a professional wrestler has to reach that point. You know, so you need that chip on the shoulder. Um, I, I would definitely say they were the first guys who really gave me that main event opportunity, even though I always thought I deserved it. From especially these smaller indie shows in you know Michigan, Wisconsin area, and I just definitely took that and just kind of ran with it. And like you know, I was the guy. You know, with the the, the quote unquote secondary title, who was main eventing every goddamn show. When you know I mean? when I was there, I pushed hard for you. I mean, Pete was on board with you too. I'm not saying I had anything. To yeah, do yeah, that, no, but You were, I mean, you know, clearly, you know, like you and Tommy were probably the two that I thought were the two top guys there. I wanted to see the American title become uh, on par with the UPW title, where either one of them oh, could be the you know, and that's kind of... Well, I, 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 I'm going to tell you right now, the UPW American title, when 
I had it at any point superseded the UBW heavyweight title, no doubt. Uh, well, I was the second world champ. Well, you kept yours. It gave credibility. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so how? That's I always had to contend with people. Like, how do you do this for your heavyweight title? Like, why does anyone think this title is important? You keep palpitating it, you know. It's still and then when it came down. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, and like it was like and the thing is like, like I said, I was main. I main evented probably. Yeah, I actually I know for a fact I main evented more shows as the American champion than anyone else in that company. And actually, even if I didn't have a title, I was fighting for that title in main events against like Sabu or Dysfunction, you know? Like, may, I definitely made that title the most important title there, which is, you know, it's fucking fake sports, so it doesn't really matter. But same time, you gotta have that, you gotta make a championship important, you know? Like, you, don't a, you don't give it you don't give a title to someone to get them over. Someone has to be over, and then they get that title over and make it important. People actually care about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then, well, to at least to establish the credibility, then maybe it can carry somebody here and there. But for sure. the most part, it's got to yeah. hold its credibility, and you definitely yeah, did absolutely. that. Yeah, and you got to create a championship atmosphere, and they never, you can't have that. It's fucking changing every fucking month, you know? Well, and, you know, to play devil's advocate, um, such is life uh, booking the indies, too, um, because people cancel all the goddamn time and things change. Yeah, yeah absolutely, so no doubt. you can't necessarily bank on things long term. Now, you know, you, you're kind of, you, I still think it gets passed around more than it should. But, you know, for instance, I think there was a recent show where Joseph Shores couldn't show up. And, I mean, he was, like, in the main event or something. So, it's like, when that kind well, of shit yeah, happens... Yeah, you... yeah, there's a whole other thing about that, but we'll go into that. Yeah, okay, that's fine, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I guess what happened with UPW? I don't, don't want to get into any dirt, but, like, uh, you said you're not working with them anymore, so probably not. No. In good terms, what happened? Um... Creative differences. Uh, dealing with him for six years, and my vision of wrestling was not was to hopefully do you know the cliche now uh, best for business and actually try to grow the fuck. <laughs> Where uh, we'll go back to the whole plain wrestler or plain booker sort of thing uh, was definitely more important to the guys in charge there. Right, I definitely thought we you know especially a small community small area we probably didn't done a lot more than we did these guys are just they were more worried about oh i i can say oh i booked sad versus rhino on a show or i'm a fucking i'm a wrestling guy in fucking escanaba you know that was more important than actually expanding the quote-unquote territory which i think putting the up yeah, on the map yeah yeah i mean i i went just like, uh, I always looked at UPW and UT uh, under the life entertainment and just, uh, I would just shake my head because it was two fat kids who didn't want to share toys in the sandbox. <laughs> so if, you, if you think about it, these guys were running you know, shows within you know, two hours of each other and they're between the combination of them, they're running like 30 some odd shows a year. You're you saying know, so combined I, forces I, I, would have been a smart idea? Yeah, absolutely. It was like it's out in Green Bay. There's like, between Green Bay and Oshkosh, there's like four promotions. 
and they all use the same guys. Like different promotions. Everyone wants to play Booker. Yeah, but that was the boss. You know what I mean? Exactly. But I mean, well, here's the thing. You know, you know why people chanted ECW because ECW was the thing, right? So what, what separates WPW from now, from ACW, from you know whatever? <clears throat> They're all the same fucking guys. They're all running the same fucking towns. So why, why don't you just put your fucking, you know, you pull, you know, quit playing the fucking big dick game and fucking get together, combine, settle on one fucking name. That's what's going to draw people. You know, like WrestleMania, you really don't. <clears throat> WrestleMania doesn't need. You can't, you can't, you can't put like, you know, fucking Carl, uh, not Carlito, but like the one of the colognes from a tag team against, you know, the fucking Ellsworth guy they got going now. Put that as your WrestleMania main event. But at the same time, WrestleMania is the draw itself. You know, it, it's the promotions themselves that are more of the draws. People want to be a part of something. You have several different things going on. You're not a part of something. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense. Here's here's a couple thoughts to add to that, though. Um, creatively, or even what's best for the territory, even more, you know, or best for business. Um, I think you're on point with that, but at the same time, like running a promotion, um, you know, even though mine didn't go far, I mean, I got UPW off the ground, I did all the concerts, I mean, that kind of shit, you can't have too many cooks in the kitchen with that kind of thing, you have to have one one direction. Which means if these I guess groups were to get together, somebody's going to have to concede to the other unless they all can just agree on what's an awesome idea, which is super hard to do. Because you're butting heads with, uh, with oh, the yeah, people over creative. Right, right. Well, the thing is, too, man, like the worst... <laughs> I'm sure you, and you're dealing with me, you probably have heard this plenty of times. I will fucking tell you if you have a stupid idea or not. Mm-hmm. That would... Which is why I, I always like went to you with every. I mean, you were kind of like my wrestling guy. You know, you were like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah, a wrestler, yeah, so sure. you're the wrestler. Is this gonna work or no? I always went to you. Well, yeah, we, I always think too, and like this is why I always got kind of pissed off about things when guys, you know, like I don't expect you to think. Like, I know I'm not all of my ideas are gonna be fucking gold, and like no one's ever will be. But like you know, I was like. I think my opinion probably should stand out more than others just based off my body of work. Like, there's a reason why you put me in main event. It's a reason why if I'm not in the main event, I'm still in the fucking show. You know what I mean? There's a reason for that, you know? So I think I have a better idea of my thumbs on the pulse a little bit better than most people. You know? Not that, like I said, not all my ideas will be goals. You know, I definitely need collaboration. You know, it's definitely, uh, you know, Two minds working on something, you know, can troubleshoot and, you know, hopefully find the, the proper medium to, you know, get an idea over. But at the same time, like, you know, people do got to put their egos inside and like, you know, hey, you know what? That is a dumb idea. What was I thinking? Well, here's a real hard question for you, because, I mean, as long as I've known you, me and you have gotten along great. You know, I don't think we've ever, you know, we've maybe talked over disagreements over storylines or something we've always gotten along great but oh yeah for sure you uh you're kind of almost like on the outs or like blacklisted from pretty much like 
all the major like regional promotions it seems like you don't get along with the different promoters or bookers what's the, no, not what's really. the deal there not really I, I've never you know like I know even South I've always had a good relationship I was supposed I to be the, I didn't necessarily the the I don't think like it's hard to get into you know Wisconsin it's more of a smaller promotion honestly gotcha yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I'm not, and black, black ball or blacklist fans is the fucking dumbest fucking thing I ever hear anyone ever fucking <laughs> say. It's fucking indie wrestling. You can go fucking to anyone. Eventually, it makes someone a fan of yours. You're going to get fucking booked. It's Do you not, work downstate nice at all? What's that? Do you work downstate at all? I have in a few years. What do you think of what John Campbell's doing? Uh, I like what he's doing. I'm not too big on some of the talent that he uses, but I really do like John. I know his heart's in the right place, and he's actually doing something kind of cool. Like he's kind of bringing a little old school Memphis to the area and whatnot. And I guess I'm not too big on the talent that he uses, but like his ambition, like getting like a, a, a TV in different areas. You know, and like shopping and stuff around it, that's pretty awesome. And anyone who kind of shits on him, I understand why they shit on him because the talent that he uses sometimes is kind of the shits. But, you know, fuck, man, you can't fault a guy for having ambition. And he's putting it on the internet. And that yeah. was my whole idea from the beginning. I think all of these indie feds locally have it completely wrong. I think. Oh, totally. I think totally, man. just doing it for the house show is fun. But I think the key is getting video content and making some sort of a web show, a web series. Oh, well, look, dude, it's all about content. It's all about content. Look at the world's coming to, man. It's Netflix. It's Hulu. Yeah. It's WWE Network. It's UFC Fight Pass. Everything, everything's becoming niche. There's so much stuff to watch now. You have to find your fucking niche. You have to be able to expand. Or not expand, but, like, find your niche and get it out to as many people as fucking possible. And you can do that with the internet. And you've got to have something you just can't be you know just uh, your average fucking indie show that you learn in fucking pro wrestling school 101 you know you have to have something that's a little bit different and you have to whether it is and it's all about content all about content look what uh kenny omega and the young bucks are doing just with their youtube stuff how much they're getting themselves more over and they're over as fuck just Who do you got in that main music. event, Omega versus... Uh... I'm an Omega, Mark. Dude. I've loved Kenny Omega for years now. Yeah, and I think uh, with New Japan possibly expanding uh, internationally into the United States, North America, like, he's the guy to do it. And he is on fighter right now. Like, he is, like, one of the best promos. Definitely, and he's a match of a year factory. You know, if he calls himself, actually. Like, uh, his match tonight, you know, from G1 Climax this year was fucking unreal and like every match he has is always like a potential match of the year candidate especially well singles match anyways and he can't really sometimes they do like those eight man ten man tags in New Japan and shit all the time but yeah I'm definitely that's probably like the one thing that's really got me excited with pro wrestling so I've been kind of disenfranchised with this for the last uh, year or so so yeah I can <laughs> I can see why for sure um, last uh, couple questions here for you, Brian. Uh, what was the what was your favorite match and or angle that you had? Huh. 
I guess we uh, going uh, 63 minutes of stylus is up there because I was like uh, always one of my goals is uh, doing a 60 minute Broadway because that always showed that you were a, a wrestler's wrestler. Anyone who can do the 60 minutes, you, you, not to say that if you don't do it, you're not a wrestler's wrestler. I know guys who haven't done it but are still phenomenal wrestlers, but it's always kind of like, you know, the Ric Flair mark, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> you have to definitely do that. Um, the two or three falls match I had with TW3 in UPW was a pretty big highlight. We, we definitely put, well, I want to say we structured the match, but it was more I structured the match in a certain way. Not that Tommy didn't have his contributions. I don't want to shit on Tommy in that way in any form, but like when it came to that, like he, he'll admit too, like he always like let me call the shit. You know, like you put the stuff together, but like uh, <clears throat> when we had like a uh, Rhino, like, the pop that Rhino got at the end of that match just like blew the fucking roof off the Delft at the time, you know. So that was definitely a moment. Yeah, he was a um, surprise that night, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and the way uh, how everything kind of fell together with that feud that me and Tommy were having, like uh, the little sidebar feud I was having with Rhino, like. You know, that story came together and you know, like I said, how I structured it. I, mean, I said Tommy has contributions too, but like it was like, you always know, telling me to suck one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh that was definitely one. Um uh even though it, it never happened, uh getting over in the battle world battle world slash elimination match to uh get into the Ted Teddy Invitational was definitely a highlight too. Unfortunately it never happened. Um I don't know, there's lots of stuff. And uh the latter match I had with Joey Avalon for UPW uh about a year or so ago was pretty awesome too, even though I kinda regret the finish looking back on it the package pile driver off the apron to a ladder table was should have been just that, you know. But yeah, the, those are probably like my big. Yeah, like it was probably <laughs> it's probably one of the sickest ideas I ever came up with. It was super fucking easy too. But at the same time, it's like yeah, we probably should have just. Is Joey that a good worker? Been, um. Yeah, and no. <laughs> um. He's very backyardish, and like. Some of his fundamentals are kind of flawed, but like he's easy to work with at the same time. And he has good ideas. Right on. Just, it, it, it just he's kind of unorthodox because, like I said, like Wisconsin not the best team. Training's not always the best there. And, and that's kind yeah. of what I meant about the, the way that they look on the poster, too. I think it kind of reflects in the ring, too. Um, a little backyardish in style. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that like the case with most indie, like probably everywhere now at this point, though? Just a bunch of yarders getting in. It's easy to get yeah, into. Yeah, well, you for the most part, but you kind of sit on yarders, but then you can say that the Hardys were yarders and now broken at Hardys. Yes. The most cool thing going right now. Yeah. And just, it all comes about really getting getting out there and learning through stuff. You can't really kind of sit in one area and expect to get better, you know what I mean? Do you like the Broken Matt Hardy stuff? Oh, dude, I love it. Absolutely fucking love it. I like it. I'm a... 
I am definitely a very big fan of old school wrestling, but I'm also quite aware of what where the world's going. And you know, like as much as like it, a lot of people, I, I can't say I don't agree with Jim Cornette, but I disagree with him a lot more. You know, because like he just he's just stuck in the eighties sort of thing. You know, like cable television wrestling, but like. Yeah. It's a new world, you know. It's an internet world, and like, you know, when well, Matt Hardy, you know, Cornette, that. when he put out uh, with uh, I forget the name now, uh, it came out at the same time ECW did. Two different uh, his promotion and ECW, two completely different styles at the same time. You know what he thought was wrestling, still very eighties. Oh yeah, well, right. I want to bring this up since you brought up uh, Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain. Smoky like Mountain. Yeah. Some he good likes shit in that, though, like, still, too. Right. Uh, like, right. He likes to shit on the Young Bucks, right? And the Super Kick Party and how it kills finishes, right? And they have these stupid gimmick matches these guys have that are unrealistic. I'm doing the air quotes again, by the way. Um, if you watch some of that Smoky Mountain stuff, like, I remember watching this one uh, Smoky Mountain on WWE Network in, like, the main event. It was, like, some no-DQ match where these guys hauled off, like, nine straight fucking DDTs on the steel chairs for fucking two counts in a tar and feather match. <laughs> and you're shitting on, like, the Young Bucks doing the super kick party, dude? You book <laughs> that shit, you fucking hypocrite. What the hell's wrong with you? He's and then you know, like, you know, funny don't draw money. Jim Cornette was one of the biggest comedy guys in wrestling in his time. Like, what the hell, dude? Like, I understand where you're coming from with your ideas and how wrestling should be presented. But Jesus Christ, dude, you know this is a fucking circus show, man. We're carny. Like, it has to be the screaming thing, man. Like, Jesus Christ. And I think he does it mostly just uh, kind of like a character thing. Yeah. And he knows that will keep him relevant in some terms. Yeah. He'll, he'll gladly be the heel against fucking indie wrestling or wrestling that he doesn't like anymore. You know, so I, I definitely think he's working people a lot of ways. But like, no, actually one of my favorite uh, things with Jim Cornette, actually, he's on the Ross report. Uh, Jim Ross or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> he, uh, Jim, Ro- or, uh, Jim Cornette shit on Lucha Underground, which I think is fucking phenomenal, by the way. Like, it's such a fresh, cool, unique approach to pro wrestling and the way wrestling is going in a lot of ways. But, like, he, like, he shit on Lucha Underground and he's, like, doing the Ross report with Jim Ross. Jim Ross put fucking over and Jim Cornette's fucking, like, speechless, which Jim Cornette is never fucking speechless. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but I, I found that fucking great. All right. Well, um, anything else that you wanted to plug or talk about or uh, you know get off your chest? Just any any kind of final thing at all? I don't know, man. Like at this point in my life, I'm kind of a yeah. I ne- you're never done with pro wrestling. Like I just have a little disenfranchised with it right now. The only thing I'm really excited about is Okada and Omega at Wrestle Kingdom in uh, what five days, six days. Where was January 4th? Uh, and, uh, Wednesday. Them? This Wednesday. This Wednesday, okay. Uh, that's about the only thing that really has me kind of excited. And uh, Kendrick's uh, little storyline he had going in the Cruiserweight Classic and stuff uh, put a little spark in me too. 
for a minute, but I just been kind of disenfranchised with the uh, indie wrestling. You know, my neck and shit was kind of fucked up there for a while. But um, I'm not. I'm definitely not done. You're never fucking done, and uh, you definitely will hear from me again in some form or fashion. But uh, at this point in my life, I'm. Uh, I'm not going to say retired, but I'm definitely uh, kind of done with wrestling for the moment. It doesn't inspire me anymore. Just taking time kind of off sad. to uh, get inspired. Yeah, man. Like, if you're creatively stifled and you get stagnant, like, and you're not happy doing what used to make you happy, then why the fuck do it? Yep. I went through the same thing with music, and now I'm uh, getting back into yeah. uh, recording new music. But uh, Yeah, yeah I'm going to find it the same way, too five years oh wow yeah I have a friend who uh plays in a punk rock band and like you know I told him like how I was feeling about wrestling like man that's how I feel about music right now too man like you just kind of hit this plateau and you think you should be farther than you are but you know it happens but like I don't know I'm still I'm I'm getting old but I'm still a relatively young man I'm still in shape I do jujitsu you know three four days a week sometimes uh, like the last month, the last month has been kind of rough because the holidays and whatnot. But that's uh, kind of the only focus has been on. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going that CM Punk route. I'm not going to probably step into the cage. You know, I'm talking to these guys. Yeah, that was going to be one of my next questions. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. One thing is like, uh, one thing I'm actually happy about with the in Michigan, like MMA finally got some like serious regulations. In a, in a condition, so like you have to be like fit, physically fit. You have to have the physical blood work done, and that's one thing too. I wish would happen with fucking pro wrestling on the indie level. I mean, I I know it's entertainment; it's not quote unquote real competition, but like there's a lot of guys who do not belong in that fucking ring. I was just gonna I say mean, that kind of regulation would weed out a lot of the. Uh, yeah, if you want to be a pro wrestler, then you're gonna go pay the doctor to get your physical, you're going to get paid to get your blood work, you're going to pay for your licensing, promoters are going to have to get their fucking licensing and have the proper thing in line to run a show. And like, yeah, it might kill a lot of shows, but the ones that actually want to be a promoter or a wrestler are going to have it. And that would be better, honestly, because it would... Because a lot, a lot of any promotions will fucking take some, like you were saying, the, the backyard kids who will go and sell, like, 50 tickets and put them in the Battle Royal, and they'll be jerking off over it. You know? <laughs> and, you know, and, like, and that, that's not good. And, that, and like, you, you you take away the quality and the hard work of people like myself. Like, I can't emphasize how much I fucking shit on people. You did not... You know, at, at UPW, some people there who have never trained at all. Like, I've trained them, and they got better because of me, but they refused to put in the extra effort in the same stuff and the sacrifices that I put in, a lot of guys put in. You know, it's like, and that, uh, that's another thing that just fucking kills it for me, too. Like, you, you say you love pro wrestling, but you're not willing to go the extra mile for it, and you, and like, I know that people have stuff in their lives, you know, whether it's family, kids, this, that, the other thing. But you know what? Fucking Stu Hart had 12 kids. <laughs> and he, you know, like, you have no excuse, dude. He had 12 fucking kids and he ran a goddamn territory. 
you know, like if you and like I, I was telling a friend uh, the other night, we kind of got into something. It's nothing to do about anything with this, but like, like if you want to do something, you're gonna fucking be there and you're gonna do it. If you don't, then you're not. You know, and don't take away things from people who want to be there. You know, because you're wasting your time, you're wasting these people's time, you're wasting my time. You know. Well, that sounds like a great place to end. I mean, uh, it was great talking to you, Brian. Uh, very uh, informative conversation. Learned a lot about you and shit. Uh, love to talk to you again sometime. Yeah, man. Anytime you want me on, dude. Um, what's your podcast called, anyways? It's called The Underground Sound. The podcast the for your mom's sound. ass. <laughs> no, that's actually uh, one of the better ones I've heard in a while, so dig it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Trying to do a lot of uh, mix interviews with uh, some other potpourri type stuff here and there. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, are you just be doing like wrestling, or you guys will be uh, involved? In no, music I got stuff? some music artists and stuff too. Just uh, any kind of uh, underground arts and entertainment mixed with any kind of miscellaneous nonsense. Oh, awesome! Love it. Uh, if you need help on miscellaneous music, I got some guys who definitely got some fun stories. So. <laughs> All right, man. I'll keep in touch. All yeah, right, absolutely. That's, uh, Brian Skyline, everybody. Have a good night. Yeah, you too, Dan. Have a good one. Yep.